it's just legalized now to do it a certain way. Alabama, they've got to step up with the cash drawer. That's all mm-hmm. it is. When you look at the top programs around the country, you got Alabama, USC, Texas, Texas A&M, Ohio State. They're going to, to participate in the NILs, period. Nick Saban has got to go to his boosters or whoever and try and figure out how to go from spending $2 million to spending $10 million. Let's go! The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Wait, that's the takeaway from Nick Saban going after Jimbo Fisher by Keyshawn Johnson, that Nick Saban has to ask for more money? That, that It's not what he said. <laughs> no. It's about... The distribution of the money by others and also the timing of when it's distributed. What Saban is seeing is a lot more competition from collectives around the country. Other people are trying to buy themselves to the foot, the big boy football table. Saban hasn't had much competition outside of like, you know, seven or eight programs. I would also argue it might be seven or eight in the SEC because I think most of them have all been doing, you know, buy player stuff for years and years and years. But the, Alabama is not cash short. No. He's just pissed that others have found a way to actually accelerate ahead of him in the initial stages of NIL. Right. What are you, you talking that Actually, that, that was the whole point. Frankly, like, he, Saban comes off as, hey, I'm, I want to make sure we're on a level playing field and I want to fix college football. No, his whole point, that right there last night was a rallying cry to Crimson Tide Nation. Hey, it's going to cost more. Now we need some more people to step up. Not that we're cash poor. The guy makes like 20 million a year. Who knows what he makes underneath the table? I mean, they, they, he openly, I don't know if he meant it to be a brag. I, I, I don't think he says anything without a purpose. It, it came out pretty much in the early stages of NIL. Hey, my quarterback's making seven figures. Yeah. There's guys all over that roster who are already well, the whole getting team, the some whole, share of money. The whole team's making money. It, it, that, that was how they structured it. Again, what he is, this is not, you're, you're saying what he's actually saying, um, but what he is trying to say on the surface is there's a method of distributing the money that we are following and that our players are making money from, but other schools are not, are not distributing the money in the same way and not as above board where... We have a fund, players come here, there's money paid into the fund, and then the players get paid out, and they get basically a salary from playing here, and that's how the NIL is And other schools are just saying, no, here's $3 million to come play for us. That, and that's what he's saying, is that you know, these other schools are just, it's, it's this arms race that these other schools are winning against us, and you know, we're still just trying, we're just a little guy trying to compete doing it the right way, which is nonsense. But that's what he's trying. That's the message he's trying to get across, which immediately was met with from everybody else. Of, okay, bro, settle down. We know that you're not playing above board. You never played above board ever. And it's really interesting that he would call out a former assistant because we're we'll get into it. But I mean, isn't that crazy? Somebody who would know all of your skeletons, where the where the bodies might be buried. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ari, dig up uh, Jimbo Fisher one, and we'll play that because this was the response. Uh, Fisher, he, I mean, he, again, I think Saban lost sight of where he was and also lost sight of really what he was saying and who he was going after. And then Jimbo Fisher was like, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do it. 
First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ. More importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. And they broke state laws. They're, they're, they're all money. They're, we bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. They've both been buying players. Of course. In different ways. And whether you give the kids the money on the front end or once they're there, I mean, I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I'll tell you the thing that I, I think he made a, a big difference on. Give me some crunch crunch. Was the comments about Jackson State. Dude, I don't think you realize what you just said. Nick Saban throws out there, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division One player. Okay. It was in the paper. They bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. So wait, a really good Division One player can't go to Jackson State. Why? What's the problem? Is there a problem with SWAC schools and well, HBCUs? And I think it's what, more. What are, what are we saying here, Nick? I think he's more saying FCS than FBS. Yeah. I don't know. I would. I would. I. I don't. I don't know for a fact, but. I think you can make the NFL from anywhere. Sure. Um, and I, I would argue that uh, there's a good chance that kids are actually going to get educated at HBCUs as opposed to Alabama. Sure. And I won't even get into some of the Cretans that Nick Saban mentored and sent on to the NFL because we experienced one of them last year at Henry Ruggs. So we won't even go down that path. All school, you know, all schools have issues with certain players once they move into real life and move into professional sports, but... Um, I think that was really dangerous. And, hey, Dion fired back. Said, basically, it's a lie. And I don't think Dion's going to let it go. No. And I wouldn't. Although, it's it's very weird because we all, we all saw this story, right? And I, to Nick Saban's point, I thought I remembered Dion and Jackson State bragging about this. Maybe I'm just misremembering. But I thought I remembered that being the case. Dion said, you best believe I'll address that lie Coach Saban told. Said he was awakened by his son, stating that, uh, you know, he, and the son was telling him, hey, you know, Saban said we paid Travis Hunter Jr. He's tagging everybody. <laughs> and then he, he closes it out. And this, to me, this is the dangerous part for Saban. We as people don't have to pay our people to play with our people. Man, there's a lot of people looking around going, and this 71-year-old white guy, bro, the system ain't working for you anymore? Like, you made a hell of a living building your program with African-American players, and then one decides not to go to Alabama, decides to go to an HBCU, and all of a sudden there's something wrong with that? Okay. I'm just, yeah, I'm just seeing there's a new uh, a new Dion statement out there that I'm trying to see up on the screen behind you right now. But uh, he... It, there's so many layers to it. I mean, you're right about that aspect of it. Um, there's also, you know, the the reporting of it, right? Because, again, I remember this story. Now, Hunter came out and said, if I got a million dollars, why are my parents still living where they're living? Like, I didn't get that. But I remember that being the case, too. So, I mean, it's it's what's reported. It's what's out there. It's who knows what the, you know, what the, what the truth is in some of the NIL deals as well. That's one aspect of it. 
how it's distributed is another. But right now, all it is is it's you've opened the door to a war now. There's no question. And Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher said, hey, it's out there. He essentially said. Look into it. Go after him. He's been doing this forever, so go look into it and find it out. Now, my first question would have been, Jimbo, uh, I'm going to start looking into it right now. What did you do when you were an assistant coach at Alabama? You're saying that he's done this for a long time. What did you do? Or I think it was at LSU with him, not Alabama. But when you were an assistant coach, what did you do? Because you're saying that he's been doing this, and so clearly you know about it. Let's go. No, I don't think he's going to do that. But that that's, that's the other issue with all this is who talks. Because we also know when you talk, you're the one that gets in trouble or you're the one that gets shunned, not the actual person. We know. I mean, that, that goes back to the uh, the awful Baylor incident, which I will never forgive college sports for, of, you know, Dave Bliss goes out and works. The coach that recorded him saying we should cover up this murder has never worked in the sport again. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. And this is a country which admitted on Saturday they conducted a mass execution of, of 81 people. What's your reaction when you hear that? Look, like I said, I'm not politically involved here. I'm, all, I, all I focus in is for the betterment of the game of golf and growing the game of golf. And I am going to grow the game of golf for professionals, for all the stakeholders and the fans. That's the most important thing to me. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Follow-up, Greg Norman. I know growing the game of golf is the most important thing, so your connection to the Saudi League, you're doing it for free, right? No, he's not doing it for free. It's might be about growing the game of golf, but it's about growing his wallet, and that answer, that was from a couple months ago in an interview, and that answer by Greg Norman uh, set a lot of people off. You know, you're, you're point blank, you're, you're telling them Saudis have some troubles here, right? Phil Mickelson jumped on board. Now he's running Hyde. You know, hiding from the PGA, hiding from the world of golf. It's uh, it's crazy stuff. And uh, Michael McCarthy's with us. I wanted to talk uh, TV and sports. He's from Front Office Sports. He's up with Cofield and Company. Mike, how are you? Good, guys. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I saw that you had uh, news earlier this morning for us that uh, someone had already quit Greg Norman's uh, golf deal. What was going on there? Sean Bratches, who's a very respected former ESPN guy, was really in charge of the business side of it, including landing a media rights deal. Well, apparently he uh, got wind of uh, Greg's recent comments, and he's out, which I think is a major loss for them on a business side. I mean, you know, Greg Norman, the great white shark, is obviously the face of the league, but a league like that is going to win or lose, succeed or fail on business, the, the people behind the scenes, and this guy was a good one. So what have you heard? Who is going to step up to partner with this Saudi-backed golf league? I've heard the zone uh, could be interested in really? it. Really? I mean, I think the way to do it for them is to get the international side locked down first. The international uh, golf media companies are not going to be as crazy about what Phil Mickelson said or didn't say to the SI novelist. Uh, they're just going to go with it, you know, purely on dollar side. So what I think they have to do is ring up a couple of small wins before they get to the big wins. You know what I mean? Don't go for the jackpot in Las Vegas terms. Right. You know, 
get a get a couple of nice wins under your belt, earn a little money, and then go for the big win. Hit some three of a kinds, not necessarily the royal flush, I guess. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. I like right. Play twenty one. Let's talk about Tiger and his impact on uh, the PGA. He had a bad round today, so he's four over. He's in like 105th place. If he doesn't make the cut, you know, from people you talk to, is that a disaster for the PGA? Or uh, TV ratings fine even without Tiger? It is not. Uh, TV has been weaning itself off the Tiger drug, and the Tiger drug has been the most powerful drug in TV sports over the last t- uh, 20 years. But due to his injuries and the craziness and the scandals and the affairs, TV has been weaning itself off Tiger for 10 years. Personally, I think losing Phil is a much uh, bigger loss this year than losing Tiger. I mean, Phil winning the PGA Championship at 50, it's unheard of. It's like Tom Brady-esque. And can you imagine the excitement if, you know, Phil, who was once the most popular golfer in the game, is coming back to defend that title? Instead, he's missing an action. He's MIA. There's no comments from him. There's no explanations. And, you know, you got guys like David Duval trying to make excuses for where he is today. He's just gone. He's vapor. Yep. All right, let's go back to sports properties. We just talked about, hey, that Saudi-back league is going to maybe have some trouble getting a, a U.S. TV deal. I thought it was pretty interesting the other day on CNBC on the Squawk Box that uh, they had an expert on there who was talking about Netflix. And, you know, we, we love TV uh, on this show, and we were kind of wondering a couple weeks ago what the hell was happening to Netflix. It was falling apart. and. Uh, this expert was making the case that Netflix really blew it by not getting into live sports. I couldn't agree more. They blew it. Uh, they missed a perfect golden opportunity. You know, five, seven years ago, Netflix was it. And if Netflix had come in and started bidding on all these sports deals, you know, I mean, they would have been taken very, very seriously with their numbers. Uh, instead, they eschewed sports. They left the field wide open to Amazon and Apple, which are both stepped into that void uh, quite seriously. And the problem for Netflix now is most of the deals are done, right? The NFL's locked up for the next 10 years. The NHL's locked up. Baseball's locked up. About the only major sports rights deal coming up in the next couple of years is the NBA. Right. What if uh, What if they gave Greg Norman a call? <laughs> Not going to work, You huh? know, I mean... It- I, you know, look, uh, buy low, right? I mean, right now, I mean, Greg Norman's league is about as uh, low as it can get. I, I don't think Netflix wants to get in business with uh, a risky property like that. They want a sure thing. You know what I mean? They want something that's going to deliver. I mean, who knows? I mean, Greg Norman's league could be the, the latest USFL or XFL or UFL or whatever they call all these spring leagues that, you know, flower for one season and then go uh, – go uh, flat on their face. So Netflix is doing the, the Tom Brady roast, which, first of all, is going to be horrific. They're not going to actually roast the way that they should, and it's not going to be good. But is that their kind of way of, of touching into sports without getting live sports? No, I, I just think that's an entertainment property. I mean, right now, Tom Brady, everybody wants to get into business with Tom Brady. Front Office Sports did a story that said literally within minutes of the gun sounding on his playoff loss, Everybody was calling his agents at WWE. And I don't mean just sports networks. I mean entertainment companies and book companies and movie companies. I mean, the guy is the ultimate winner, right? I mean, he is the standard of excellence. He is at the top of everybody's list. I don't see that as a move into sports. I just see that as a one-off by an entertainment company that wants to say it does business with Tom Brady. 
Well, Fox is doing business with Tom Brady, and, and as you referenced, I mean, there's a, such a market for him and what he's going to do after he's done. Uh, how, how much will he do beyond just the games that might make this deal worth it for Fox? Well, that's a very good question because in the announcement, which was quite sparse on details, they mentioned Tom being an ambassador for Fox. Now, what that means to me is that he's going to be going into business with Fox and its properties. He's going to be promoting them. They're going to be promoting him. He's going to have a production deal. He's going to have a movie deal. So this is going to be a lot more than him just, you know, getting behind a microphone on Sunday afternoon. It's going to be a top-to-bottom deal where Fox, in a sense, becomes partners with the Murdoch. Yeah, I, I suggested I thought one of the ways they're going to monetize it is that Brady would get involved with their Fox bet. I feel like uh, just about everyone in sports is like, oh, can I get involved in you know the back end of a sports book? Let's do it. I wonder if Brady would do it. I think he would, and, and I tell you, Fox bet could use it because <laughs> out of yeah. all the, the betting apps out there, the betting companies, that one's lagging behind. And we both know that you know Fox has not hesitated to use its talent to tout this thing. And everybody from Terry Bradshaw to Colin Coward is out there, you know, pushing Fox bets. Uh, problem is, it just can't get any traction. Now you put Tom Brady there, and he starts talking about fantasy football and betting on real-time sports. You might get some traction. So I, I think that would be a great idea. Mike McCarthy's with Michael McCarthy from uh, Front Office Sports. Check it out, frontofficesports.com. Uh, what happened with Breeze? Whose choice was it? You know, why isn't Breeze part of NBC anymore? I think uh, Breeze just fell on his face during that playoff game with the Bengals. Uh, he wasn't ready, and uh, he didn't have anything to say. He didn't say anything interesting, and it was a type of national stage where it's do or die. And if he had killed it, like Tony Romo killed it early in his TV career, he'd be at NBC right now. So I think it's a, a little bit of both. I, I think NBC is disappointed in Breeze, but I also think Breeze is disappointed at NBC in that, he wasn't given the kind of number one job that Romo was given at CBS. That, in fact, NBC decided to keep Chris Collinsworth in that role. So, I mean, what I'm hearing about Breeze is he takes a year off. Okay. And you know what? It's not a bad idea because other people have failed at TV, and when they came back the second time, they were much better. Can you take us behind the curtain? I mean, you talked to all these TV people. When they bring in former NFL players, you know, basically straight off the field and they have no experience, how much do they work with them? Are they kind of left to develop on their own? Um, do they have people working with them? And I'm sure you've heard stories of athletes who maybe they worked with and the athlete was kind of pushing back on actually working. No, they, uh, they work with them quite a bit. They call simulated games. They put them together with their top play-by-play announcers. Uh, they have producers in their ears. Uh, so there's quite a bit of work that goes into it. I mean, the problem with TV is this. A lot of ex-athletes think it's an easy gig. I'm going to go in there, put my feet up, tell a couple of war stories, and pick <laughs> up a check. Uh-uh. You know, you got to work. you got to work to be the best. you got to study the film. you got to get the cadence and the pace of TV down. It is not just about telling war stories at a bar. It's about being a broadcaster. And the ones who are willing to put in the work and become good, great at it, like, like Nate Burleson, who went through the NFL's broadcasting boot camp, you know, as a guy fresh up the field and is now on CBS this morning, they get the rewards. The guys who are lazy, the guys who cut corners, the guys who take shortcuts, they don't last. 
Is, is there any chance that happens with Brady, or is there so many other things out there for him to do with Fox that it won't really matter? Of course there's a chance. I mean, I'll, I'll give you in two words, Tom Brady is Joe Montana, right? <laughs> Joe Montana grew up in Northern California. Joe Montana was Brady's idol. Joe Montana flopped on TV. The greatest quarterback up until that period. I'll give you another uh, example. Jason Witt. Remember a couple of years ago, ESPN oh, brought in Jason Witt. Yep. He was supposed to be the next Tony Romo. Another Dallas Cowboy in the booth is going to be great. That was terrible. He was a robot. Okay? So <laughs> the, the industry is littered with names of ex-players who flopped on TV. Yep. In fact, there's a lot more of them than the ones who succeeded. Yeah. Uh, one guy off the field, and he was a big name, you know, wasn't a big name when he was on the field, but, I mean, the, the, the growth of his brand and the money he's making is insane, is Pat McAfee. Adam, tell tell Mike you were watching McAfee the other day, right? And Collinsworth was on. Yeah. What, what what happened when they were started talking about the big money on TV? They were just kind of kind of busting each other a little bit of just kind of you know making fun of each other lightly, and uh, you know they talked about the Brady deal and how much money that's bringing in, and then Collinsworth kind of referenced like, well, aren't you getting forty five million from Amazon? And it was like, okay, okay, all right, all right. He uh, kind of shut it down pretty quickly, but it was a funny exchange. There's definitely big money on the table for McAfee beyond already what he's making in TV, right? I mean, people have to be trying to get up, be a part of his brand. Yeah, I mean, he has become the most successful brand at doing it is done on his own, right? He's probably making, you know, as much if not more than Tom Brady, you know what I mean, with his YouTube and all his other stuff. But at the same time, McAfee, like Breeze in some ways, wants it all. Pat McAfee doesn't want to go to Amazon Thursday Night Football and be the, the kooky sideline reporter. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't want to be uh, on the, the Fox pre-pre-game show, you know what I mean, as the, the laugh-out-loud guy. I mean, he wants to be taken seriously and brought in as a number one game analyst. He wants to be the star. And I think, you know I mean, right now the NFL networks are not willing to go there with Pat McAfee for whatever reason. And I think Pat McAfee has the financial independence to wait until he gets that off. So that's what I think the delay is there. Well, uh, listen, uh, full disclosure, I'm an obsessed Pat McAfee fan right now. I think he's, he's doing such an unbelievable job. Isn't there, could there be some concern he just outshines everyone else on the broadcast? <laughs> no, that could be. Uh, you know, remember, <laughs> I mean, you're a Pat McAfee fan, so you know what I'm talking about. Remember when he was like, get up in the ESPN morning shows all the time? <laughs> oh, yeah. What happened to that? Well, I'm going to ask ESPN that tomorrow. Like, what happened to Pat McAfee? Maybe Pat McAfee was making some people look bad. Or maybe he rubbed some people the wrong way. But I do know that he was on ESPN all the time, not just get up uh, you know, in the morning show, but he was also on you know, the, the big college football pregame show, college game day, and he saw him, and all of a sudden he's not. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that there is uh, a little bit of a, a, you know, apprehension yeah. that if you're on a set with this guy, he might blow you out of the water. You can find uh, Michael McCarthy up on Twitter at uh, mmccarthyrev. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm curious to see how ESPN eventually um, uses J.J. Redick because I think Redick has actually got – I mean, he's been tremendous when he's got on there, but he's sort of embarrassed Mad Dog a little bit. And even Stephen A. Smith sometimes sits there and just, like, stares at him and gets shot down. I – I wonder what his long-term role is at ESPN if he's interested in it. Well, I'll tell you this. and I, I watch the exact same shows that you did, and it's funny. We're on the same wavelength about this. It's almost like J.J. is pushing them too far. You know, 
nobody at ESPN is bigger than the four letters. Right? Go through their history. You know what I mean? Everybody from Keith Oldman and Dan Patrick. You know what I mean? You cannot be bigger than ESPN. Part two of that rule is you can't make Stephen A. look bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's the biggest star right now. So yep. if you're J.J. Reddick and you're making Stephen A. look bad, then that's going to redound to your, uh, you know what I mean, uh, problem, not to his problem. So I, I agree with you. I mean, you have to be sort of a Dan Olofsky. You have to be a guy who can make your points but make everybody around you look good and still let the star be the star. I, I tell you who I thought was the breakout performer of the last six months was Pat Bev on ESPN really? last week. Okay. My God, Patrick Beverly was going off. He was <laughs> roasting Chris Paul like you wouldn't believe. It was, it was some of the most honest, brutal TV I ever seen. He even went after Stephen A. He said, hey, what about you? You know, you're always throwing shade at Ben Simmons. What about, uh, you know, throwing some shade at your buddy Chris Paul? It was great TV. <laughs> That's awesome. FrontOfficeSports.com is the site. It's the business of sports. Uh, right now, one of the big stories on the site is talking about Nick Saban, you know, going after Jimbo Fisher. Um, by the way, we'll close on that. Um, behind the scenes, TV people who have deals, especially with the SEC, must be going gaga. They're like, holy crap. We're talking about the SEC on May 19th. What a ratings bonanza this stuff is going to be in the fall. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine the ratings when uh, Texas A&M and Alabama get together? Yep. Uh, you know, look, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful sport. Uh, I also think it's wonderful that Jimbo Fisher is lifting the curtain a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he's saying that you know Nick Saban is not the same he's uh, pretends to be. And Nick Saban, I think, is showing his ass. You know what I mean? He's a coach yep. who's used to control. He's a control freak like all college football coaches. And now NIL comes along and it's the Wild West and he doesn't have any control anymore. It's flipping away from him as fast as in through his fingers. So I, I, I thought it was a great presser. It will go down with Mike Gundy and some of the other college uh, rants of all time. Michael, that was awesome. We really appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Thanks, guys. For com at M. McCarthy Rev. Uh, if you didn't know, Michael's a, a guy who resides in the New Jersey, New York area. That was good. That was good. Good way to put it with uh, Nick Saban. Nick Saban is showing his ass. Sign up for an A-Play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. One owns a meat slicer, the other an air fryer. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. One owns both. Try to figure it out. Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield. Ticket windows open, 364-1100-364-1100. If you love Tool, Pussifer is here. Maynard, lead singer. He's awesome. Corky dude. They've got their Reckoning Tour, June 9th. Great spot, too. The Smith Center. If you want your... Uh, if you don't win the ticket, you can grab uh, your own at thesmithcenter.com. Call our seven right now, 364-1100-364-1100, June 9th show. God, we have so much to get to. We really haven't unveiled much of what Jimbo Fisher said in responding to Nick Saban. Saban basically saying, Texas A&M cheats and loosely suggested you know, they're breaking rules and laws, and uh, Jimbo Fisher flipped out. We'll get to that in the Big Five. Um, I will say... On the TV and movie front, I'm not a movie theater guy. 
right? It's going to take a lot for me to get back to a movie theater. But do you, do you would, act like your parents, like in the, in the commercial? I have seen that commercial. You know, I don't watch very many. Dr. Rick, yeah, Dr. Rick. Dr. Rick, does he does walk you through the theater and tell you how not to act like your parents there. No, I, I look at the board and I get pissed off about the popcorn and the prices. What about, do you tell everybody to go to the bathroom or gather everybody's coats? The gathering the coats thing I thought was kind of weird, but he shut it down pretty quickly. He's like, no, 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 we don't need a coat right now. We don't need that. Or the, the one lady saying, who is it? Like, the, the Woodford said this. And he's like, no one knows who no, they are. Nobody knows who they yeah, are. You're telling stories. We don't know. <laughs> uh, Top Gun. When I see Top Gun in a theater, well, you sent something over today. I mean, if it's been received this well, maybe I have to. I don't think I'm going to do it. So, but, but apparently the movie was shown to Cannes. Which, first of all, I thought Cannes was more for art, artsy films. The Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. The Cannes Film Festival. Uh, I, I don't, so Top Gun Apparently they there? showed it. Yeah. And it got a five-minute standing ovation, which, first of all, I don't believe. Why would you do five minutes? Why would you stand for five minutes and clap? Have Why you ever, would you clap have, at all? Have you ever clapped after a movie? No, nobody that made it is here. That's what he, that's what. Dr. Uh, that's Rick a good says. point. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Rick, yeah, you really no, love that I, commercial. Yeah. Who are you cheering? Like, I've never understood it. I've never understood people that cheer at the end of the movie or clap for the movie. Because, again, it's not a play. The people in the, in the movie are not there. No, who are you showing appreciation for? I don't. I've never understood that. The five-minute standing ovation. I wouldn't. I don't. I can't imagine anything that I would give a five-minute standing ovation for. I'm gonna make a terrible old reference. After here. like ten seconds, are you looking around like, okay, when when are we done with this? We're gonna go for five more minutes, really? I'm always afraid to make very old references, and okay. they're really not even old. <sighs> Should I do it? Is it older than the original Top Gun? Might be the same year. Okay. I, when was the original Top Gun? Was that when? It has to be. I, don't, I have no idea. The, la- the last time I saw. Well, I hope I get this right. The last time I saw a standing ovation for a movie was during a movie. Did you ever see the movie Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks? Sure. And at the end, they crash a bus through a theater, and it was 3D, and everyone stands up at the end. They're like, that was great. Stupid reference, but just something random. That was shown at the theater in 3D. No, the th- in in the it, in the movie Bachelor Party, there at the end, people are watching a movie. The movie is in 3D okay. in the movie. Okay. And a bus comes crashing through, and they're like, "Oh my god, the effects!" Yeah. Uh, Top Gun '86. Okay, Bachelor Party was '84. Okay, so around the same era. Yeah. So you were in a theater, and you watched this. You watched this movie in '84. <laughs> When you were 30? Okay. I've already explained it a couple of times. I didn't go to a theater. It they was... gave a th- ovation in the movie? Yes. This is like Inception. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. There was a standing ovation for a movie in a movie. I wasn't right, at but the I, movie. I thought you were saying... No, I wasn't at the movie. In the theater, they gave a standing ovation for what happened in a movie that they were watching no. of a movie. No. So you haven't seen it. You've never experienced it in an actual theater. I've seen it. Clapping it, maybe once, but I can't remember what film it was, and I definitely did not clap. It really disturbs me. Well, I'm glad we brought it up. It, it, it really... I, I get, like, mad. So now you're out on Top Gun. I don't believe that it happened. And I, I don't I know that happened. I would see... It's going to be that awesome. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You, no. We didn't, need, we didn't need another revisiting of this. Yes, we do. And by the way, Tom Cruise is flying the plane in the movie. I don't know what it's, I don't. I don't even want to know what it's about. I just know it's going to be good. 
Well, I think he comes back to instruct okay. the new class. He better not play volleyball at his age. I'm sure there's going to be a reference. Up. There'll be a reference to it of some it's gotta sort. It's got to be. It's one of the greatest scenes ever. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually not. One of the most made fun of scenes ever. It's a tremendous movie. There you go. There's the pub. We didn't get paid for that. Top Gun out this weekend. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. I don't think he's going to win this week. I don't think he's going to make the cut here this week. To be honest with you, Steve, I'm not exactly bullish on Tiger Woods this week. As far as putting any finances on Tiger Woods, the only thing I'm doing is for him to miss the cut this week in terms of a bet. It's Cool Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. That was the voice of uh, Cam Rogers from B-Leaf Podcast on Cofield and Company yesterday saying that uh, Tiger to miss the cut could be a good bet. Well, he shot a four over. That's a 74 on Southern Hills. Leaders are at five under. He's uh, tied for 105th, so he could be in some trouble. And that that number yesterday, I think, missing the cut was uh, even or, like, whatever, minus 110. So that could be a, a winning bet. Let's get into the PGA a little bit and then a lot more college football Brad Powers is with us. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Hey, doing all right. Thanks for having me. Did you bet the PGA? The only bet I make, made was uh, Tiger Woods would not make the Is that right? But it was uh, not appropriately priced. So uh, I, I got plus 110 on it. So, nice. So we'll, we'll see. I just, after watching him at I mean, to me, the outliers seem to be obviously the first round and second round he progressively got worse so uh, obviously he doesn't look 100% healthy and uh, uh, hopefully I can catch that ticket It didn't throw you off when Curtis Strange said he was all in on Tiger to make the cut? Oh boy <laughs> No no, that did, not, that did not move the needle as far as my pocketbook So we talk college football just about every week on the gambling side of things. I know you're also a fan My god <laughs> The last night and today, you know, this is right up my alley. Uh, just we're get, going behind the curtain of the ugliness. So just give me your reaction to <laughs> what Saban said about Texas A&M and also Dion and Jackson State. And then <laughs> Jimbo Fisher coming back with a flamethrower. I mean, to say the least, I don't think I've ever seen anybody say what Jimbo did in public today. So, I mean, it's good for uh, <laughs> the soap operas of the world. Uh, it's not going to move the needle as far as my power rating, but it will move the needle. I'm guessing CBS made an easy decision to make that uh, their one lone night game that they'll uh, put uh, as far as the FCC this year. Uh, I think both guys, I guess there's no honor among these because, uh, I mean, I can make a case that both guys are right and both guys are wrong. Right. And uh, I-, I think Jimbo has as many skeletons in his closet as Saban does. So I, I just... I, I, I didn't get any of it from any angle, to, to be honest with you. I, I can't believe Saban said what he did, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually shocked that Jimbo came and had a press conference today uh, addressing it. I mean, it's, it sounds like there's nothing we can really do now reacting betting-wise, but could I mean, could this lead to a point where there's issues within a program or one of them leaves at some point? Like, Could we cut, try to get ahead of the market in that way? Uh, I don't think there's going to be anything as far as this year goes, but it's something to definitely look down the road and, and more on the Texas A&M side of things because, uh, I mean, you're looking for outliers. And, I mean, I'll give you a recent example, at least in the last five, six years of college football recruiting. I mean, out of nowhere, Old Miss signed like the second or third best recruiting class in the country, 
And, you know, Hugh Freeze basically said, hey, come investigate me. We're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Well, they investigated, and uh, guess what? <laughs> there was something, there was a lot of shadiness going on uh, behind the scenes. I'll, I'll say this for Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher's previous four recruiting classes combined, they signed five five stars in total. They signed eight this year. Yeah. <laughs> when the, the first year NIL becomes available, they signed eight. Nobody in college football history has ever signed eight five stars in one class. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up where you know whether smoke there's fire with recruiting with the U Freeze class because I, I think that was the year they got Robert Candici, who's kind of a you know nothing name now, but at the time he was you know projected on the next level was the number one recruit, and you're like, okay, how is Ole Miss getting this done? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He was okay. one of many. I mean, I think yeah. Fredwell, a bunch of guys they got, a bunch of five stars out of nowhere. I mean, you know, past history does matter at least levels of where you are as a program. And one year, you, you all of a sudden, you know, anybody can have, like, their best recruiting class that they've ever had. But when you, like, jump a couple of even notches above that, then that raises some eyebrows as far as I'm concerned. You know why the setting was also hilarious? Um, at this uh, get-together that Saban was at, next time was Nate Oates. And I don't know if anyone's noticed, Alabama all of a sudden is like a top-seven destination in college basketball. I wonder how that's <laughs> happening. Weird, huh? <laughs> And Nate Oates, his leg is very, like shake, shaking off his hip. Like, he's like, uh, okay, I really don't want to get into this. Like, okay. Um, look ahead line, because we're getting a lot more games of the year. Um, I don't know if the number's already moved, but like basically on speculation that Saban's going to try to kick the crap out of Texas A&M and Jimbo. I saw the number, Bama 16 against A&M. I thought it was fair. I made it 17, so uh, it was one that I didn't bet. I mean, I think so. A lot of people would probably be surprised how big that is, but I'm not. I have, and look, keep in mind, I have bet Texas A&M over their season win total over eight and a half. I have Texas A&M number five in the country in my power ratings, and yet I have Alabama by 17 in that game. That's how far ahead of uh, the rest of college football Alabama. Heading wow. All right, some other games of the year. One of them is here. I know you've had a you know pretty strong opinion on Notre Dame and other matchups. What about Notre Dame and BYU in Vegas, seven and a half, the Irish? I'm going to lean BYU. I'll take the hook there. I made the line six. Uh, the only concern that I have is, you know, Notre Dame's coming off a bye. They've never lost what they call these Shamrock Series games, these neutral site games that are technically a home game for Notre Dame. I'll argue, though, BYU will have more in the crowd than Notre Dame. That's something that the, the Irish aren't accustomed to in some of these neutral site games. And also, I mean, if you've been following returning experience, BYU returns 19 starters. More than any team in the country, they will be a legitimate team this year. So, mean BYU there. And to your point, Notre Dame fans better buy the tickets early and often. Otherwise, BYU will have freaking forty thousand people at Allegiant. Easily, I, I, they had fifty thousand plus for the opener last year against Arizona. Yep. So, they will buy tickets, and there's plenty of BYU folks and uh, and supporters here in Las Vegas. All right, a couple of Michigan games are up on games of the year. Uh, and you can kind of see the respect here for Ohio State. Ohio State 14 as a favorite against Michigan, but then Michigan <laughs> against Michigan State's actually laying nine. Yeah, it seems like a lot, especially considering Michigan State's own Michigan. I mean, they won each of the last two matchups, and, and, I mean, you go back the last 10, 12 years, I mean, they've won 10 the last 12 meetings between the two. So, I mean, I'm going to lean because of the past history of Michigan State, but, again, I didn't run in the window to bet it, and I'm not afraid to bet it. I've already made 50-plus bets in college football already. 
Brad Powers with us. BradPowersSports.com. Yeah, it's May 19th. Brad gets on the numbers early, and these numbers are coming out earlier and earlier, so you have a chance to bet games of the year, and uh, you know, then when the game comes up, you'll see oftentimes there's a, a massive difference. This one's a little bit deep divey. I mean, I don't know if it's confirmed yet, but I saw that Ohio State and Penn State is 13. I thought Penn State, that might be their whiteout, but I, I know Penn State fans are already complaining that it might not be a night game, which makes a big difference to them. So I have no idea if that goes into the number. Am I anywhere close on this one? You know what? You actually are barking up the right tree in this one. I would say Penn State's whiteout at night is probably one of, if not the most intimidating uh, atmospheres in college football in, in, in any season. So it probably is an extra half point or point. I think this is a little rich, even though I'm really high on Ohio State this year. Uh, I, I made it closer to 10, so I would take Penn State plus a 13. All right. And we've talked about not fading Southern Cal, but really watch the numbers because it seems like the numbers are a little too aggressive. I thought <laughs> the, uh, the end of the season rivalry game between USC and UCLA, game of the year look ahead, has SC six against UCLA. I don't know if people have been paying attention, but um, UCLA, you know, got kind of got the wake up call with the transfer portal. While USC's gotten all the headlines, UCLA went out and grabbed a lot of players. Well, they had to. I mean, the Bruins only have seven returning starters coming back to their team, including only two on defense. So, I mean, they they had to hit the transfer portal. Uh, you know, I, I in both of those late season games for USC, I'm going to fade the Trojans in both. I'll take UCLA plus six. I'll take Notre Dame plus two and a half. And, you know, reason being is, number one, USC is way overrated in these early season markets. They are being treated like a legitimate top ten, borderline top five team. They're not. Uh, maybe you can tell me their starters are, are that that good. But they are really depth shy. They might start the season with maybe 65, 70 scholarship players. In order for USC to achieve some of these lofty expectations, they're going to basically have to be injury-free at every single position group, with the exception of wide receiver. They're pretty deep there. But every other position group, I mean, they just suffer one or two injuries. They're in big trouble. And I'm talking, forget the UCLA's, the Notre Dame's, the Utah's of the world. The Oregon State's of the world will have their way with USC. we got like 30 seconds left. Go ahead, Adam. Well, USC does still have room under the cap. They can go get whatever they need before the season <laughs> starts, got, right? They got their receiver. <laughs> Fair enough. They need offense and defensive linemen. That's what I'm looking. For. Brad, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Fun times. Like I'm, I can. I've, I don't think I've been this jacked in May for college football in in my lifetime. It's it's insane. I, I this is every May for me. <laughs> See you, Brad. BradPowerSports.com at BradPower7 up on Twitter again. BradPowerSports.com. I freaking love it. I love it. And as I open the show. By mentioning, I love that uh, NIL and the portal stuff, especially with a lot of schools out west, have really embraced it, and they are going out and grabbing players from around the country. And that, hey, you know what? When you're overlooked and you're disrespected, it, that's, you know, as much as we can talk about the uh, SEC filled with a lot of scumbags, if if that's who you're competing with and you got you got to get down in the mud. And, I, you know, I brought it up the other day. Washington deciding, hey, we need a linebacker. This kid, Chris Mole. Is you know just committed to Central Florida? Man, too bad, man. Let's go get him. <laughs> USC, you know, USC. We need a receiver. You know, Jordan Addison might go on the portal, might not. The Pittsburgh kid. Let's go get him. Let's do it. It's aggressive and it's 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 allowed now, basically. So go do it. Big Five is on the way live here at Silver Sevens on a Thursday. <laughs>